everyone. My name is Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to Zoom Sunday service at the river. We're so glad you could join us. Well, today marks the beginning of Advent season, which in church calendar celebrates the coming of Jesus for four weeks, culminating with Christmas. Tis the season of joy. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This eternal life in original Greek, Zoe, indicates not only the length of life but quality of life as well. Life in all its fullness now and forever. Doesn't that sound good? Not just after death, but now as well. Inner joy, inner strength, gratitude, resilience, better relationships with yourself and others. This is why faith is worth pursuing, especially at times like now, when there is so much uncertainties and challenges facing us. Everyone has dark times in life, dark valleys at times. I've had constant back pain. I faced uncertain future at times, even feeling abandoned by God sometimes. But in every challenging time, God was there. I could feel this strange sense of joy and hope when there was no reason to feel that way. There is spiritual reality that can lift us up, tastes of heaven that can bring peace. So, how does that happen? How does life in all its fullness flow into our lives now and after death? There are many Bible passages about how salvation happens. Let me tell you some big ones today. First, uh, believe in Jesus in your heart and confess with your lips and you shall be saved. Romans 10.9 This is a very important passage for evangelical Christians. You accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Be willing to say it in public as in baptism and your salvation is assured. You are born again if you do this, which is important because Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You've heard of born again Christians, right? This is where that comes from. But this belief is disputed within the church at large. For example, Catholics believe in a different process for salvation that emphasizes the church sacraments like communion. The bread and the wine taken during communion is believed to become literally the flesh and the blood of Christ when the anointed priest blesses it. This is called the doctrine of transubstantiation. You may have heard of it. It's based on Bible verses like, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, 
which I will give for the life of the world. I assure you, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus said that. Combine this passage with the Last Supper where Jesus took up bread, broke it, and said, This is my body. Eat this in remembrance of me. Combine the two and we have the formula. During communion, bread and wine become literally the flesh and the blood of Jesus, which gives eternal life, as these passages state. Now, here at the river, we belong to the Protestant tradition, so we do not believe that communion and wine, communion bread and wine, become the actual flesh and blood of Jesus. Faith is not magic. We believe Jesus intended communion to be in remembrance. So bread and wine are symbolic, not literally flesh and blood. Seems like common sense, but wars have been fought over this. Atrocities have been committed over this dispute. It's so tragic and senseless and needless because both positions are just examples of magical thinking. Salvation is not simply mechanistic as if heaven comes out of some vending machine. You push this button and pull that button, you put some money in, and voila, you get heaven. No way. Salvation is a spiritual process, an inner mystery that comes from profound changes in the heart and soul from faith in God's love. Magical thinking, mechanistic thinking, focused on simple mechanics like communion or reciting formulas like Jesus is Lord and Savior, so now I'm saved? Those kinds of thinking can only be supported by focusing on just one or two selected Bible passages. When the reality is there are numerous other Bible passages that give you many different views on how salvation happens. For example, Jesus said, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily. What good is it for you to gain the world and lose your soul? This passage tells us clearly that salvation is about much more than reciting some phrase or taking communion. Those are too easy. Rather, it's a daily process, inner spiritual process, that involves the cross that's personalized for each of us every day. We have to take up our cross every day. And there are other passages too that says plainly, it doesn't matter how much we proclaim our Christian beliefs that we are born again. Rather, it's our actions that's important. For example, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says that it's the people who feed the hungry, take care of the homeless, the prisoners, they will enter heaven. But those who do not, 
will not get in. Even if they proclaim loudly their Christian bona fides, Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? Jesus will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This passage makes it very clear. If we are indifferent to those at the bottom of our society, we will not get heaven. It doesn't matter if we take communion every day. It doesn't matter if we call Jesus Lord, as in this passage. It's not that simple. So then, is it all about helping the poor? No. There are many, many verses that say it's not what we do, but it's what we believe in. Because salvation is a gift from God. It's not earned by our charity towards the poor. The Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of anything you do or not do, so that no one may boast, including helping the poor. Not about us and what we do. Very clear, right? So how do we make sense of these seemingly contradictory passages? Some passages say it's all about what we do, how we treat the helpless. Some passages say it's not about anything we do. It's about what you believe. It's a gift from God. What are we missing? Why are there so many disputes and even wars fought over disagreements on how salvation happens? Why are there so many passages supporting different positions? Why is it so confusing? If there is an overarching framework that can explain all these different passages all at the same time, wouldn't that be great? So today, I'd like to give you such an overarching framework that can bring together all these passages on salvation so that you can have a consistent understanding of how salvation works. Sounds good? Here we go. The key to understanding all these seemingly conflicting passages comes from the passage in the Bible when a theologian asks Jesus what we must do to enter the kingdom of God. What, can, what must we do to be saved? 
The answer from Jesus is unconditionally love your God and unconditionally love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the Bible hangs on these two commandments. This is called the greatest commandment and this command can explain every Bible passage about salvation. Which is not surprising because Jesus says here this is the framework upon which everything in the Bible is built upon. So this is a framework that can explain everything in the Bible. Let me explain how that works. The key lies in the unconditionality of agape love. If we accept the cross as the foundation of our worth with no conditions attached, unconditional, then that belief creates new identity in us. Because every one of us already has a conception of self built upon some value system. Some of us feel worthy inside because we are a good person. Others get self-worth from being successful or famous or wealthy or beautiful or whatever. And every society builds caste systems out of these values as we discussed before. But if we truly put our faith in the gospel, then all these value systems must go in favor of the self-worth given to us unconditionally by the cross. Just think about it. Christian faith says, the God incarnate died for you. You are worth the life of God. That's infinite worth. We do not deserve it. We cannot try to earn it because the price is too high. How could you ever pay for that? We can only accept humbly as a gift in faith. And if this faith ends up defining our self-conception, then that leads to being born again because we will get deconstructed to our core. Every self-identity, every sense of self-worth built upon some condition must disappear because everything pales in comparison to the price of Jesus' sacrifice. I mean, how can we say, I'm worth the life of God, but I'm worth a bit more than others because I have money or I did some good things like helping the poor or I'm creative. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? So faith creates new identity, new worth, built upon nothing but the cross, as the old hymns say. Then all our actions would flow from this new identity. We would never look down upon the homeless, those at the bottom of our society, because they too are worth the life of God incarnate. We will see all human beings as having infinite innate worth, equivalent in value to the life of God, even the least among us. 
that would lead us to following the greatest command. So it's not just about doing charitable work for the poor. The Bible is very clear that if you sell everything and give it to the poor, but you do not love unconditionally, then it all counts for nothing. Because you could build your self-worth on being charitable. You could feel like you are a good person, worthy person, because you are good to the poor. That means you are not born again. You'll be rejecting the unconditionality of God's grace. Your identity would be built upon something else mixed in with the cross. You being a good person. That's why salvation is both faith and works. It takes a lot of work to try to keep believing in the gospel. It takes a lot of work to let go of the conditions we put on our self-worth and others every day. But the effort is worth it. It's worth the effort to try to take up our cross daily and let go of our self-worth built upon some conditions. If we do this work, our lives would change profoundly for the better. We would come alive. We would become radiant. Nothing could knock us off. Because we would feel God's love and acceptance unconditionally, constantly, no matter what happens, so that we would feel this inner glow, inner peace, acceptance, and, and just loving ourselves and being happy with ourselves no matter what. And that's really hard to come by, don't you think? Let me ask you, are you happy with yourself? Not easy, is it? We are constantly haunted by the sense that we are not good enough. The gospel is the antidote. We can finally and totally accept and love ourselves, even knowing full well all our flaws. That's the first step towards fulfilling the greatest commandment. Because it's love your neighbor unconditionally as you love yourself. So we must learn to love ourselves unconditionally first. There's no other way to start following the greatest commandment. The gospel is key to actually doing the greatest commandment. So you see, the key is unconditionality. It's the only way. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said this to church leaders at the time who believed that salvation comes by being righteous based on understanding and following the Bible right. Sounds familiar? Church today believes that too. But Jesus said, I am the only way, not to some unbelieving different faith groups. He said this to church leaders at the time. We must remember that. The gospel is the only way. The cross invalidates all conditions, all identities built on earthly values. The only way to salvation is to accept this gift this grace from God, 
humbly without trying to put conditions upon it. Ironically, that's the only condition for salvation. This gospel has the power to remake us and make us radiant like Jesus was when he was on earth. If we really work that, taking up our cross daily, be reconstructed in every way, born again, lived unconditionally daily, we will become the most accepting, most non-judgmental, most comfortable person ever, just like Jesus was. We will be spreading the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. As Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Jews meaning church people, Greeks meaning non-church people. This faith in this message of unconditional love, it has the power to change us from inside out and let heaven start to flow in. So let's believe in the gospel. It has the power to change us and save us. Let's take up the cross daily. Let's spread heaven all around us. Isn't that exciting? This is the gospel. I would love to hear your thoughts. So please join us on our Zoom Sunday service at 11 or in our weekly Zoom groups. I myself lead one on Wednesday evenings at 8. Hope to see you soon. And let's discuss all these things and may God bless you today and this week. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.